The word this morning comes from Luke 9:51 through 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then, he, then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, But as for you, may go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say what farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The scripture from the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter, has one captivating story. Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. During the Advent season, we had a Bible study, and the book we used had the same title. <clears throat> he set his face to Jerusalem. Jesus was about to go to this final destination, knowing that it was in Jerusalem that he was to be crucified. And so Jesus focused on his mission, the fulfillment of which was his death and resurrection. It was Thomas Wolfe who made the saying famous, you can't go home again. Words that have been repeated thousands of times. You can't go home again. Remember, Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. Thomas Wolfe says, you can't go home again. It has simil some similarity with another saying. You cannot step into the same river twice. Because life, like a river, is an ever-flowing and ever-changing reality. And with the ever-changing realities of life and living, we all have our own ex excuses. We all have excuses for not following through on our good intentions. And you know, sometimes we plan, we know what we want to do, and we don't follow through. And we have excuses. I mean, I have mine. 
Every morning I wake up, I want to exercise because I have a treadmill and I give myself the excuse not to do it. <laughs> yes, indeed, we all have our own excuses, my friends, with our good intentions and especially not living up to the challenges of discipleship. And that's where the passage narrow it down for us. We all have excuses not to be an effective disciple. We all have excuses not to be the disciple that God has called us to be. My friends, the three would-be followers Jesus encountered in this gospel passage, we are great at manufacturing excuses that will allow them to gracefully bow out of discipleship when it got too demanding and uncomfortable. We all have excuses. Three people. As Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, met Jesus. Two of them willingly say, I will follow you, but one of them, he says, follow me. The, that one says, not now. Three people. And Jesus responds with a no-nonsense, no-excuse mandate, separating those who would follow from those who could only hesitate and calculate the cost of their commitment. Because that's what we all do as Christians. You know, as, as, I, as I sat here this morning, I saw the, the, the message being played. You know, we're talking about Jesus and three people. Two says, I will follow you. The other one, Jesus said, please follow me. So as I sat here this morning, I noticed Rachel was in the praise band singing. Then I realized Rachel had some disciples. And one of them saw Rachel and says, I want to go to mommy. And she was not allowed at first, but she insisted. And dad gave the okay. Was that Evelyn? She went up. She stayed. That's the commitment of discipleship. And then Micah saw that. And Micah said, I'm not going to be left alone. So he went up and he stayed. Another demonstration of the commitment Jesus is talking about in the passage of scripture. So as I looked at them, I said, that's the message being played out. You may not know. 
because at that time you've not had the scripture read. But I read the scripture already and I saw it acted this morning. And so we have three people. Each of them wants to be disciples of Jesus Christ, but they lack the commitment. The first of these three potential disciples sound as though he was actually committed to joining Jesus. The scripture says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, see, this is not Jesus approaching the it is the person approaching Jesus. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. It's a simple and straightforward statement. Sounded like a commitment. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Because Jesus already knew what was being played. Jesus said to this first potential disciple, being a disciple will not give this man security of place. Because Jesus is saying to this man, I don't have anything. In other words, think before you follow me or before you make a commitment to follow me. Jesus is saying to this would-be disciple, if you want to be my disciple, please know there is no home, no office, no pension plan, no health care plan comes with the credential of discipleship. In other words, you come to Jesus as you are, don't expect much of what this world can give you. You just come. So Jesus cautioned this first person. If you want to follow me, don't expect much. Jesus is challenging all of us to move beyond our accepted standard of safety. Because that's what we all need anyway. That's what we all crave for. The standard of safety beyond our concern about job security, about financial security, about social security, about investment security. We want to be secured before we can commit to following Jesus. We want to be secured. I know a lot of missionaries around the world, young people who have committed to the mission field. If they stay in the United States, they will have all the securities they need. Social security plan, pension, etc., etc. Some mission fields provide that. Some don't. So some of these young people have to go around, raise the money, and go to the mission field without any plan security for their life in the future. The last church I was, there was a guy and his wife, and their son actually, and they've been in China for some time now. They are missionaries in China. 
They have no, no form of pension. But when God calls you into the mission field, you go. And for some people, they just go and they believe that God will make the provision. And this is what Jesus is saying to this person. There is no security. I, I don't have a home. So if you want to come and follow me, think. Just come as you are. Then there was a second person. The second person in this narrative received a personal invitation from Jesus. The first one came and volunteered his services. The second person received a personal invitation from Jesus to follow him. But this individual claims family responsibilities tie him down and hold him back. This is what the scripture says. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Excuse number two. I have family responsibility. Therefore, I can't follow you. We don't know exactly whether this person was the eldest son of his family. Because in the Jewish tradition, he has to be responsible to bury his father. And whether the father was, a, whether the father was an aged person or not, we don't know. This could have been Somebody who says to Jesus, I will follow you, but give me another 40 or 50 years until my dad die, and when I have buried my dad, I will come and follow you. And then Jesus, my friends, wants all to know that we should never claim our family situation as a get-out card to discipleship. That's not with Jesus. I mean, it's, it's like some of us who are pastors. Some of us receive our call very early in life. These days, you have a lot of second and third career people coming into the ministry. But for some of us, we receive our call very early in life. I was in elementary school, really in elementary school, when I got the idea that I'm going to be a pastor. At that time, I don't think I, I really understood what it meant to be a pastor. But I know you're going to be doing something for God. And then I went to high school. And in high school, I had so many affirmations to the extent that up till this day I can say some of the kids in my high school don't even know my name because they call me Rev. Because they, 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 they saw it in me, in my activities on, on, on campus, that this guy is not going to be part of us. He's going to be part with God. And then in my home church, I got, I got confirmation when I was supported. When I wanted to go to college just to be a reverend, a pastor. 
for now. By only counting all the securities that you count on now. My only challenge to God, and I have to be honest with you, just like all the other people God called, we all have challenges that we put in front of God. My only challenge to God was, I really don't want to be a full-time pastor. I'm willing to be a pastor, but I don't want to be a full-time pastor. That's what I told God. I would like to do something else. And this is the way God worked it for me. After I was ordained, I became the manager of the Christian Literature Crusade bookstore in Freetown. So that's a confirmation that God heard my prayer. I don't want to be a full-time pastor. So I worked in that capacity for about five years. And in the interim, I was teaching in an all-Methodist girls' school. That one was part-time. Again, God knew I don't want to be a full-time pastor. So I fulfilled that, that part of my, my vision, my desire. And then, when I came to the United States to go to seminary, I got a church. I became a full-time pastor. But you know, God has already satisfied my desire. I was satisfied with what that God had done for me for five, six years. And so therefore, to be a full-time pastor was okay. And now I'm still in the pastorate and hoping that one day I will retire and don't come back. But I will still be committed to God because I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying to this second person, don't make excuses when you are called. And then there was a third person in this narrative. The final inquiry about discipleship presented his family as an excuse to buy time before taking any action. And in the case of this man, the excuse is far more superficial. He wants to be socially acceptable and courteously discipleship. After all, what would happen to his reputation? What would happen to his social standing if he simply walked away from his former life in order to follow Jesus? In other words, what would people say about me? This is who I am today. If I follow Jesus, things have to change. What will people say about me? It's like when you're in high school. I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, you witness to kids, and they think they can defer accepting Jesus Christ because they were too young or too busy. It's not yet time for them to do it. What would people say about me? Listen to what the scripture says. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first... Let me say farewell to those at my home. Let me prepare myself to be who you want me to be. 
Is that what we all do? When Jesus calls us? I mean, here in this congregation, we have, we have living examples. I don't know Jane. I've never met her. Corresponded with her twice. But one day God put in her heart to be a missionary. Did she say yes? I believe she said yes. We know Sarah because we just said goodbye to Sarah to go to Guatemala. As young as she is, one day God put in her heart to be more committed to the mission of Jesus Christ in the world. Did she say yes? I believe she did. Now, Sarah could have given all these excuses. She didn't. Jane could have given her own excuses. Every one of us could manufacture excuses. And it's not strange. This man was not the first, will never be the last. Because, my friends, the Bible is filled with people with piles of alibis. People who came up with all sorts of creative excuses for not serving God. But in the eyes of God, those who excuse themselves actually accuse themselves. For they are arguing only with their own weaknesses and their worries. I mean, consider somebody like Elijah. Elijah who said, excuse me, Lord, but my nerves can't take it anymore. Elijah was so fed up with the ministry and the mission. I can't take it anymore. Consider Isaiah who said, excuse me, Lord, but I'm not pious or pure enough. Isaiah says, I am living among sinful people and I am a sinner. I'm not, the, I'm not the one for you. Consider Jeremiah who said, excuse me, Lord, but I'm too young. I mean, the Bible is filled with them. You can go. Moses has an excuse. Jonah has an excuse. Many people had excuses. They did not want to commit their lives to the ministry of God. My friends, Jesus is calling you. And Jesus is expecting full commitment. Full commitment. The story is told, and this is, this is a true story. It's told of a commercial venture of one of the largest department stores in our nation. I mean, it proved to be disastrously unsuccessful, this venture. The store was trying to market a doll in the form of a baby Jesus. It was advertised as being unbreakable, as being washable, and cuddly. It was packaged in straw with plastic surroundings. 
It even had appropriate biblical text to go with it. The only problem was it just didn't sell. It just didn't sell. But the manager of one of the branches of this department store had something wise to do. Christmas was coming before it's over. And you have to push the items before it's all gone, before Christmas is over. So he decided to mark down the price. He put up a huge sign outside his store, and the store read, Jesus Christ marked down 50%. Get him while you can. Oh, my friends, this might be the way many people want to come to Jesus. But let's be honest, discipleship is never discounted. Discipleship calls for 100% commitment. Jesus paid the full price to die for you. Did you believe that Jesus on the cross only paid 50% of the price he should have paid? No. Jesus paid the full price to die for you. You must pay the price to live for Jesus. And it is a full commitment. When you think about all that Jesus has done for you, when you think about all that Jesus can do for you, when you think about all that Jesus will do for you, when you think what Jesus has to offer you, abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven, you know that it is the deal of a lifetime. And therefore, when you, you commit to Jesus, it is not 50%, my friends. It is not 75%. It is 100%. The challenge this morning is, are you willing to follow Jesus? And is your commitment complete? 100%. I have been 100% committed to Jesus from my elementary school days. That's a long time, my friends. And I will continue to be 100% committed to Jesus to enjoy the abundant life he has given to me so that I can, re I can reap the reward of eternal life in heaven. What's your commitment level this morning? Is it 25%? Remember, the two disciples this morning met Jesus because we are a reflection of Jesus Christ. And so the two disciples met Jesus this morning and they stayed with Jesus. A 100% commitment. And that's the commitment we are asking the church to give. We go to our classes for Sunday school or we go home and think about it. What is my level of commitment? to Jesus who committed everything for me. I pray, my friends, pray 
that God will be with you to strengthen you every day as you get involved in his ministry and in his mission. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. To this, the disciples of Jesus say, Oh my God, it's so dull. To this, the disciples of Jesus say, Amen, amen and amen.